0: Runoff, a crime novel about election fraud, evokes a curious timelessness of classic detective fiction. A noir gym, says Mystery Scene Magazine. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 22 It Isn't Easy Being Green The guy on the reception desk at Padilla Election Headquarters had his nose buried in the big book of science fiction. He was wearing a t-shirt with, I gave my word to stop at third, 1987 Teen Abstinence Day, printed across his chest. My guess was he'd been thrown out at first more times than not. I identified myself and asked to speak to Kathleen Wilmot. A Mr. Reardon to see his bitchiness. Check.' He picked up the phone, did a phony double-take, and then brought a hand up to cover his mouth and a sole patch that looked like a flattened spider glued to his chin. "'Oops! Did I just use my out-loud voice?' He dialed a four-digit extension." said that I was here, and nodded several times while the person at the other end of the line talked for what seemed like an improbably long time. He hung up without saying anything in response. Kathleen and Caleb are in the corner conference room. You're to meet them there. But don't touch anything, don't talk to anyone, and don't breathe any of our air if you can avoid it. Got it, I said, but I was talking to the book jacket. Wilma and her brother, who apparently was named Caleb, were sitting in folding chairs at the far end of a folding plastic table when I stepped into the room. She still had her beret, and he still had his skirt. Neither of them stood. Most of the remaining floor space was taken by boxes of campaign materials and what looked to be an envelope stuffing assembly line, with piles of flyers, printed address labels, and a postage machine laid out in sequence. The walls were covered by campaign posters, scuff marks, and the odd thumbtack, and there was a cinderblock bookshelf along the sidewall with a fish tank on top. Lettering on an index card taped beneath the tank read, Goldie Prawn, Green Party Mascot. Goldie floated contentedly above a ruined castle and a chest of treasure leaking air bubbles. I stopped at the head of the table, basking in the concentrated glares of the Wilmot family. "'Nice fish,' I said. "'You've got 30 minutes, Reardon,' said Wilmot. "'If you want to talk about fish, that's your business.' I pulled out one of the flimsy chairs and sat down. "'Okay. Why did you send Diego to attack me from behind?' "'I told you we didn't.' "'Are you saying it was his own idea?' On a scale of yes or no, no. Well, whose was it? Wilmot looked over to her brother, who responded by biting his lip. She turned back to me. Ralph Wood. The developer? Does Diego work for him? Yes. But I saw Diego guarding the door at the new college rally. What's he got to do with the campaign? Wilmot pushed back against her chair, provoking a loud, creaking noise. He's a volunteer. A volunteer who takes orders from somebody else. Wilmot started to answer, but thought better of it. Not so, Caleb. You don't know the first thing about campaigns, he said. It's common practice for staffers to be paid by people or businesses who support the candidate. You mean special interests. I thought the Green Party was different. I thought they didn't follow common practice. Now I hear you've got a real estate developer calling the shots. Ralph Wood isn't a special interest, said Walmont. He's working for the people, building low-income housing. He's one of the few who's really fighting gentrification in the mission. What's the story on Diego then? How did he get hooked up with Wood? He was hired at one of Wood's construction jobs, said Caleb. One day he broke up a fight between five guys using a two-by-four and Wood took notice. Now he works as Wood's personal bodyguard when he's not helping out on the campaign. Sounds more like a personal thug to me. Wilmot leaned onto the table, folding her hands in front of her with exaggerated care, as if she was barely keeping herself under control. What do you want, Reardon? We know you work for Lenora Lee. I want to find out who fixed the election. Nobody fixed the election. You and Lee are trying to throw dust in everyone's eyes. Her candidate never had a chance of winning, but the thought of Padilla in office is making her so crazy that she'll do anything to derail his campaign. I fished one of the paper rolls out of my pocket. This is a signed audit trail from an electronic voting machine in a Chinatown precinct. It shows voters there, at least, picked Chow over other candidates. Whoever rigged the election replaced it with a phony roll and tried to destroy the original. But as you see, they didn't quite succeed. I'm turning this over to the authorities. Once I do, the election will be blown wide open. Wilmont shook her head. Go ahead and give it to the authorities. I don't believe it's proof of anything. Even if it is what you say it is, you'd still have to show that the votes on it are different than the official results. It wouldn't surprise me if Chow carried at least one precinct. And there's nothing to show someone replaced it with a phony. You probably stole it out of the election director's office. After all, you are the one who found him murdered. She had a point. The role by itself didn't prove anything but sloppy election day logistics. For all I knew, Roadrunner might have picked it up when it bounced off a truck. But thinking that put me in mind of him again. Who's Roadrunner? I asked. A cartoon character or the New Mexico state bird. Now I know you're throwing dust. Let's get this straight. Nobody fixed the election and no person... Animal, vegetable, or flightless fowl at this campaign even attempted it. I returned the roll to my pocket and looked down the table at Wilmot and her brother. They stared back. Their desire to see me out of their hair palpable in the strained expressions on their faces and the way they sat forward in their chairs. That still leaves the video, I said. Caleb slammed his hand on the table. You fucker. Look. We agreed to talk with you, said Wilmot. What else do you want? You can't ruin this candidate's chances over something done without his knowledge or approval. Nobody's addressed why Wood sent Diego after me in the first place. Well, that should be obvious, put in Caleb. You're an asshole. Ralph is very passionate about the cause and the candidate, said Wilmot. He doesn't want you to do anything to damage Mike Padilla's chances. It's as simple as that. I don't think so. If you're not dirty, then he is. His response was all out of proportion to the threat. Something else is going on. Find out if he was involved in fixing the election, or I'm releasing the video. Wilmot came out of her chair and clenched her hands in front of her, shaking with rage. Her face was as red and contorted as a newborn's. You're delusional. No one fixed the election. Period. Period. She paused, seeming to realize how overwrought she appeared, and lowered herself back into her chair. Besides, you can't prove a null hypothesis. I have no way of convincing you he didn't do it. All I can do is find evidence that he did, which would be much worse than having the media get hold of the video. Do the legwork. Report back and convince me you've made a good-faith effort, and I'll let you off the hook." Wilmot curled her lip over her upper teeth like she was going to spit them out. Caleb stared morosely into his lap. Start by looking at Wood's ties to Farrell Collective, I suggested. Wilmot started to say something, but she was distracted by movement behind me. I twisted around to see Mike Padilla and Ralph Wood walk into the room, all smiley and buddy-buddy. Padilla had another of his rumpled suits on. Wood was very pressed in the pant leg and very shiny in the shoes. He had on a gold pinky ring, gold aviator-style glasses, and one of those silly wireless headphone sets stuck in his ear. Something about the headset made me hate him even more. The smile dropped from Wood's face like an iceberg calving when he saw me. What's he doing here? I stood and walked to within three inches of him. He quailed like he was expecting me to slug him, but I snatched the headset from his ear and flung it across the room. It bounced off the wall and plopped into Goldie's tank, where it seesawed its way down to the colored gravel at the bottom. Decorating Goldie's pad, I said. I gave him a little shove in the chest, and he toppled back into Padilla, who was wearing an expression like I'd pressed a wad of gum into the family Bible. Don't be a stranger, I said to Wilmot. In particular, don't be a stranger past 3 p.m. tomorrow. If I don't hear from you, I can still make the evening news the day before the election. You have been listening to Runoff, a book hard-boiled great James Crumley described as a smart, funny, Spooky, often touching, always entertaining romp. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com.